Happy New Year's, listeners, and welcome to the Labor Know Your Rights podcast. I'd like to remind you we have a toll-free number, 1-855-625-8610. You can call and leave a message for the podcast with suggestions, comments, ideas for future episodes, anything you would like. This is brought to you by lifeonrecord.com. They're a great product. They give you a toll-free number for special occasions where you'd like to celebrate maybe an anniversary, birthday, graduation. People can call in and leave a message, and then you can either have them record those messages onto a CD and give the CD as a gift, or you can have them recorded on a memory stick and they will send you a little player that sounds great, uh, has great speakers. If you would like to check them out, their website is www.lifeonrecord.com. During this episode, I'm going to read some writings by different people that occurred at the time that these incidents were going on. As I read them, I'd like you to try to guess as to what year these things were written. Uh, I found some of them pretty amazing because they apply to today. At the end of each reading, I will give you the information on when it was written, by whom. Some of these are newspaper articles, part of are excerpts from books and uh, even speeches. Of course, there is no prize for guessing right, but I thought it would be fun just to kind of play along and see if you can get the time frame. So on with the episode. This first reading is a comparison to workers and slaves. Therefore, I say, it is a fair division of a man's day. Eight hours for sleep, eight hours for work, eight hours for his soul. Eight hours for his own, to idle if he pleases, to rest, to study if he pleases, to improve himself. It is not my business to say, Sir, you shall not have the leisure unless you come under bonds to use it well. It is no business of mine how he uses what belongs to him. I do not go to the millionaire on Beacon Street and say to him, Sir, the laws of Massachusetts will not protect your bank unless, according to my ideas, you use it well. He has a right to his bank stock and to do with it, under God, what he pleases. I may agitate in order to induce him to do certain things with it. When you have eight hours, I shall be with a bayonet at your heels, trying to drive you into useful and honorable use of it. Be sure of that. But my first object, give it to you, since it belongs to you. Again, in claiming this, fairly considered our right, we are not infringing the right of any man. No man's rights, properly considered, interfere with any other man's rights. Show me the right of a man or a class, and I will show you something with which nobody else has a right to interfere. You know, I have been told on this platform for 20 years that the Negro did not observe his freedom and would idle it away, my reply was, what God gave him he shall have, and he is responsible to God for using it well or ill. My view, therefore, of this reform is simply this. 
It is an endeavor to discover the true relations between labor and capital and arrange matters in accordance with it. It is an endeavor to give the laboring class of Massachusetts more leisure and give them, therefore, better opportunity to become more intelligent. I defy a million of men having got leisure and comfort not to improve. There is no such instance in history. It is the universal excuse and pretense of the oppressor that they will not. In 1789, the talk of the noble of France was that the peasant is naturally idle and would not work if he could live without it. But France rose up and broke her chain, and although the throne there rests in theory on universal suffrage, all feudalism abolished, still Frenchmen set example to the world in their painstaking and patient industry. So in regard to the system of slavery at the South, men said, the Negro will never work unless you whip him to it. But we've tried it and find Mr. Cash is a more efficient master than Mr. Lash. This was from Wendell Phillips' remarks at the mass meeting of working men in Fennell Hall, November 2nd, 1865. The next one is labor and its rights. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that the right of all useful labor are unitary and can never conflict, that labor has a common cause and interest in all efforts to alleviate and improve the conditions of the toiling masses, that no class of laborers can be excluded from our efforts and sympathies without the grossest injustice. We therefore invite to our cooperation all classes of laborers, male and female, for this is a struggle for liberty and justice for all useful labor. We tender to all such our sympathies, whether united to us by organic ties or not, and hail them a co-workers in common cause. Gradually we are getting rid of the crudities inherent to a new movement. Gradually the objectionable features are melting away until we can see the hour fast approaching when the marshaled masses without a jarring discord shall move in solid phalanx upon the enemies. Ignorance, poverty, vice, crime, as they rear their hydra heads through the institutions of the past. Hours of labor. This subject has already received considerable attention and legislation, and we deem it but just that we should express our views and give our reasons for those views. We deem eight hours per day for labor, eight for eating, recreation, and culture, and eight for rest. The most natural and equitable division of time in our country. The power of men and animals is properly expressed by three quantities, force, velocity, and time. In every organization, there is a fixed value of these quantities subject to use, beyond which we cannot go without injury. The best formula for the highest results from these quantities is the above division. This division is in harmony with the Encyclopedia Britannica, the recognized authority of all scientific men in measuring the forces of nature. 
one of the oldest and most philanthropic institutions make this division. Eight for the usual avocations of life, eight for the service of God and the relief of brothers, and eight for refreshment and sleep. This division is based on scientific and natural laws and is supported by Franklin Combe on the Constitution of Men. Dick and many medical men, all writers on physical health as well as insurance actuaries, all these most unequivocally declare that all excessive labor diminishes power and hastens death. Dick alleges, and very justly, that the fatigue of excessive labor tends to induce intemperance, while the proper medium increases power and tends to virtue and longevity. It will not be denied that ten or fourteen hours a day deprives the toiler of disposition, opportunity, and capacity to rise in the scale of moral and intellectual being, that it denies him all social and physical recreation and makes him a mere beast of burden for his master, the capitalist. On the other hand, as the wages of labor rise and the hours of labor are shortened, the thinking, skillful worker finds time and means to improve his methods and develop useful inventions. Since these improved conditions, there has been a vast increase in labor-saving inventions, and it only remains now to improve these conditions, that all labor, by whomsoever performed, shall have equal pay, and all inventors shall have the control of the products of their brains as well as muscles, and be no longer the slaves of the capitalists. The issue made up. On the one side are arrayed the bankers, users, speculators, and all who live by preying on the producing classes through subtle fiscal contrivances and the usurpation of the public domain. On the other side are the enterprising wealthy producing classes in all departments of useful labor, calling, or profession. In a word, all who can earn a living by honest industry. This was written by R.F. Travelek, President A.T. Cavus, First Vice President C. Kuhn, Second Vice President Council A. Campbell, A.M. Pruitt, and H.G. Walls, Secretary. This was an excerpt from Address of the National Labor Union to the People of the United States on Money, Land, and Other Subjects of National Importance in 1870. The end of the Civil War brought economic opportunities amid widespread national disorder. Before the war, most unions in America were local organizations. Only a few represented workers from more than one city, and few attempts to organize on a regional scale survived beyond the next economic downturns. Building on previous efforts that the United Workers from different trades the National Labor Union formed in 1866. Although the National Labor Union was not a truly national organization, like the later Knights of Labor or the American Federation of Labor, it set an important precedence for organizing workers across trade boundaries. 
I hope you enjoyed these readings. I think it's important that we review history every so often and see where the labor movement has came from, what it's experienced, and why it's so important. This podcast has been brought to you by the National League of Justice and Security Professionals, where the members come first. You can reach them uh, by viewing our show notes, and you can reach us um, by viewing the show notes. We Our websites are located there, and so are our contact information, along with the toll-free number, email addresses. Feel free to contact us, and this will wrap this one up. Thanks for listening.